there are times that I feel like the songs that we sing are an anthem of our hearts, and there are times that I feel like the songs that we sing are the desires of our hearts, and and there are times that we sing these songs, and and really, I don't know if if you're like me, but there are times that you say, okay, I just want my heart to be there. Uh, I, I want my desire and my heart and the anthem of my life to be there is nothing better than you. Nothing. And yet we find ourselves in weird moments and weird pockets of time where, where we feel like there's, there's competition for that, right? Or we feel dividedness in our own spirits about, okay, I do want God and I do want the things of God and I want to be able to, to proclaim it from the, rough, uh, the rooftops that, that there's nothing better than Him. And so our prayers become, God, help us want to want that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think it's a, a beautiful, beautiful part of our, of our lives. And if you have your Bibles, let's, let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we, we started a series last week involving uh, some lessons that we can learn during this uh, season of, of COVID-19, uh, really, that we found ourselves in. And, and we want to take some time, really, to consider what God may be saying to us in these days, because uh, regardless of whichever way we think about this season, God is saying something to us. Uh, If we think that He has brought this season uh, in a desire to draw us towards repentance, I I think there's a good case to be made there. And and if you think that that He's allowing uh, these circumstances in an attempt for us to draw closer to Him, I think there's a really good case to be made there. And if you find yourself kind of somewhere in between, I think you're not too far out there to say, yeah, that, I think that's what's happening. I know in my own heart, I've kind of gone back and forth. You know, uh, why is this happening? What is God doing? Uh, what does God want us to understand in this season? And, and what I'm starting to reconcile in my own heart is, is that it, it, this, is, this time is not as much about figuring out why we're experiencing this, but, but what can we learn from this time? And, and this pandemic has brought with it some very revealing factors about how we live and, and what we prioritize and, and, and what happens uh, when the flow of our lives is interrupted by situations uh, outside of our uh, control. And... And so last Sunday, what's up, Bubba? Just hanging out? All right. Uh, so, so last Sunday, we, we put it this way. We said that, that the ground, hey, Ray, I'm right here. Uh, if you could just come, okay. I know, he's cuter than I am um, by a lot. Uh, and so he probably doesn't want to get back there, though. That's where we put the sharks with lasers. Um, so, so last Sunday, we, we put it this way. Uh, we said that, that the ground beneath us has been shaken. Uh, and as we, we try to get back to normalcy, what we need to understand is that uh, there is... Hey, can we go that way, my friend? Yeah, yeah, here we go. We're, we're going to walk this way? All right, thank you, my friend. Um, oh, I did not throw him into that chair. Uh, that was dramatic. Um, but we said that, that the ground beneath us is shaken as we try to uh, consider what our new normal 
will be, here's what we need to understand, that when things are shaken, they never resettle the exact same way. Uh, and and, and so, so my contention is that one of the gifts of this season, is, in a way, is that uh, we have time to search our hearts and to listen to the Holy Spirit. And so, so what we did last week is we started with this passage that, that Paul gives us in to consider how we use our time. Uh, he comes in and he says, he says, look carefully how you walk, right? Uh, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the best use of our time. And so, so how we spend our time, we need to be guarded uh, when it comes to uh, that we're using it in the best ways. And so, so as Christians, uh, our desire is not just to, to use our time, but to use it for the sake of the gospel. And, and so we need to understand that, that the pace of our lives, uh, when it comes to our desire to glorify God uh, with all of our steps. And, and so this morning what I want to do is I want us to switch gears just a bit, right? And, and I want us to talk about some of our actions that, that really surfaced in March uh, and in regards to our hearts. And then I want us to connect that with some of the words that Jesus gives us about what to do when we are tempted to worry. Uh, we, we, talked about this, we talked about this a couple of months ago in our uh, merge uh, weekend discussion guides, but I knew then that, hey, th- I want to unpack this as soon as we kind of get back together in person. And so, so let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you uh, for this time. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care about us. And I pray through the work of uh, your Holy Spirit today that as we open up your word that we would hear and we would see very clearly your desire when it comes to what we do with our worries and how we work through anxiety. Father, we thank you and we lay these requests at your feet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I don't, I don't know about you, um, but as I look back on the past couple months, the pandemic came very suddenly. Uh, that, that at first you, you would hear some rumors and some whispers, but I never really anticipated uh, the, the steps that we would be taking over these, these past few months. I mean, it seemed uh, like with each announcement, I thought uh, we were talking about being in this weird season for a matter of days, not weeks, and, and not especially months. And, and, and when, our, when our schools extended spring break, I thought, uh, well, okay, I mean, I guess for the safety of the kids, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but, but what, what I never really expected was that our spring break would turn into extended spring break, which would turn into distance learning, which would turn into schools over everyone. Uh, and but, but let me tell you where this really got weird for me. Uh, Misty and I, uh, Misty works for my wife. Uh, she works for the Eagle Mountain Independent School District. Now, uh, they are rebels, and they don't have the same spring break as Azel does. In fact, their spring break was the week before. Uh, and which turns out to be great news for me uh, because I had joked around and I said, hey, you should take me skiing in Red River, New Mexico. Uh, and sure enough, she did it. Uh, and to my own surprise, I didn't, you know, sometimes you just throw stuff against the wall to see if it'll stick. It hardly ever sticks for me, but somehow she was like, yes, I want to get a, away from all of our kids. I'll even take you to do that. Um, 
And so, so we end up going, uh, in fact, if you'll remember on March the 8th, I'm sure you all remember this, uh, James uh, filled in for me here and he talked about how we love God with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our, our strength. And, and really, he was filling in because that was this pocket of days when I was chasing Misty down the mountain trying to look cool uh, and keep up with her. Um, but as we were returning home, uh, in the car we started seeing posts and uh, started reading news stories about um, the great toilet paper run of 2020 uh, to where, where toilet paper began flying right off the shelves and people were throwing punches over Charmin. Uh, and it was really bizarre. But uh, I, again, I think it's a gift that I got to drive all the way from New Mexico to Texas uh, with this unfolding. It gave us something to do other than talk to one another. Um, and so, so as we were driving through West Texas, uh, we, we started having these conversations that I never in my whole life anticipated having. We're, we're driving through, and I was like, hey, we're about to go to Childress. Do you think they know? Do you think, do, does Childress have internet? I don't know. Uh, should, we, should we pull in, like, to a Walmart and, like, just grab a roll, and then maybe the next station and the next station and next we don't want to, if they don't know that w- what we know, then we don't want to tell them. But should we start stocking up on toilet paper? And now here's what you need to know is that I don't typically think about toilet paper until it has abandoned me in my time of need, right? Um, and, but, but, but nonetheless, we, we had a few weeks, didn't we? we? We had a few weeks where toilet paper seemed to be a commodity because it was so difficult to find and, and and what followed was this stocking up and and then there was this run on on food and other household items that we we typically just take for granted but but toilet paper was perhaps the most peculiar thing that I saw us throwing you know going to fisticuffs over uh, because uh, in all fairness okay I don't know if you know this um, but we can survive without it we can't I mean it's not ideal. Uh, terribly inconvenient, but we live in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, and the fact that you have a bathtub or a shower next to your toilet tells you that you have options, okay? But we nonetheless thought we had none. None. And, And for a while, you would have thought that toilet paper was as essential as oxygen, and, and now, now what I remember feeling in my heart was how the panic of others was leading me or influencing panic that wanted to grow in my own heart. And so, so when I have that, I, I tried to take it to God, and I was like, what, it, what is this? What, why do I feel the need to, to start stocking up? Why do I feel the need to, to find out, call stores, hey, do you all have toilet paper? Why do I feel that need? And he was very graceful with me, and he took me to Matthew uh, chapter six, as Jesus speaks truth into the heart of anxiety. And Jesus, here's the thing: Jesus does not want us to live in worry. Okay. And now, when I say that, it's it's not really a, a matter of convenience, but because our worry affects our worship. Right? We know that our worry affects our worship, and when our worship is effective, uh, affected, our perspective is skewed, and we see things falsely. And so what Jesus will consistently do is come in and he will challenge us 
to remember God's heart for us, to remember the way that God takes care of us. And this is uh, what we see in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Now, the context of Matthew 6 is simply Jesus is teaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, his sermon will span from chapters 5, 6, and 7. So anytime you think I'm long-winded, we're not going three chapters today, all right? So, so when we get to 6, understand, he's talking to people about life. And so he says this, and we'll start in verse 25. He says this, Therefore, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If you'd like to underline, uh, underline that phrase, that's a great question to ponder. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's another line to underline. Are you not of more value than they. And which of you, verse 27, and which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is to, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Then underline these next few words. O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And this is what I love, because Jesus says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. And he's, if we're honest, he's demanding the kind of life we all want. Right? Like anybody wake up this morning and say, you know, I hope I will be paralyzed by fear and worry. I hope I am. Gosh, I really hope my anxiety leads me to a place where I yell at my kids for no apparent reason. No. No. So this life that Jesus is demanding when it comes to worry, he says, he says, we all want that. None of us want to be weighed down with worry. But now, how does Jesus expect that demand to come true when we see things all around us that draw us towards anxiety? How do we do that? Well, he does this by speaking into our anxieties over the basics of life. Our food, our drink, in our clothing. And by speaking into these verses, we're given a direction to go toward in verse 33, where we find great help. That, that instead of being anxious, we are invited to seek first the kingdom of God and give these needs to your king. That, 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 that we would hand that situation to his kingly power. We would walk in the path of his conf with confidence that he will work to meet every one of our needs, 
not because you earn it or didn't earn it, but because he has promised it and he has confirmed it in covenant of his own word. And so, so if we believe in the care of our Heavenly Father, Jesus says we do not need to be anxious about anything. And everything else in this text just supports that. He says you don't have to live in worry and anxiety if you believe in the care of your Heavenly Father. And so he's going to give us eight reasons. Uh, and, and we're going to work through them pretty quickly. Eight reasons Jesus gives us not to be anxious. And number one is simply this, and we'll start in verse 25. We're just going to make our way through the, the whole passage. That number one, life is more than food and clothing. Life is more than food and clothing. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So, so we have to ask this question. Why do we tend to get anxious about food and clothing? Why do we? And I think, I think maybe it's because uh, if you take away those things, there are three additional things we fear that we would lose, and really it's more. It reveals more. That, that first we would lose some pleasures, right? Because food tastes good, shopping is entertaining. So we know if, if, if we didn't have those two things, we would be void of that kind of pleasure. I think number two, we would lose some sort of human praise. Uh, that, that, um, that if we didn't have nice clothes we would miss out on some admiring glances. Or thirdly, uh, we would possibly lose life if we didn't have food and we didn't have, weren't protected from the elements and the cold. Uh, and so, so the, the reason we get anxious, the reason we get anxious is because we don't want to lose physical pleasure, human praise, or life itself. And, and I want you to pay attention to how Jesus responds to that. Because he says, is life not more than those things? So he gives us an, a great alternative. He, he, says, he says, if you're gripped by anxiety over these things, then you've lost sight of the greatness of life. You have. That, that life was not given primarily for physical pleasures, but for something greater. And Jesus will say that something greater is the enjoyment of God. You can go uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 21 for that. He says, he says life was not given for the approval of man, but, but for something greater, the, the approval of God. You can go John chapter 5, verse 44 for that. Life was not even given primarily as an ex, uh, for an extension on this earth, but for something greater. That life was given so that we may have the ability to have eternal life with God in the age to come. We can go to the most famous one possibly of all, John uh, 3.16. And the point is that we ought not to be anxious about food and clothing because they cannot provide the greatest things in life. They can't. They can't provide the enjoyment of God, the, the pursuit of His favor, the hope of eternity in His presence. In fact, John Piper put it this way, we get anxious about food and clothing to the same degree that we lose sight of the great purpose of a God-centered life. We do. You realize that when we were made, at, way back in the beginning, in fact, in the beginning of in the beginning, we were made, and it says that we were naked and not ashamed. And yet we feel the need 
to surround ourselves with all the comforts of our... Now, you can't be naked now. I mean, that changed. Number two. God provides for the needs of His children. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the second reason, second reason... Jesus gives us for not being anxious will draw our attention to the birds of the air. And he says, he says, consider the life of a bird and take note that they dig for their worms and they snatch their bugs and they prepare their nests with twigs and leaves, but, but they do not go about anxiously hoarding. They just live in a way that they know that there will be provision for them. And I think it's a powerful lesson in in praying for today's daily bread. That, that yes, there, there's work that we do and, uh, and still needs to be done, but the overall provision uh, comes from God because He has promised to care for us in the way that a perfect Heavenly Father does. And so, so the end of verse 26 reveals something incredible about God's heart for us, that, that He cares for birds that, that we barely pay any attention to, right? We don't. We don't, we don't really pay any attention to them and he says if god feeds them daily think about the intricate care that he takes in your life because he values you so much more than the birds so much more number three jesus will say your anxiety does not add time to your life your anxiety does not add time to your life and which of you in verse 27 being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life that's a great question isn't it it's a great question. In fact, this is when, when a friend brings that question, this is when you're like, shut up, dummy. Right? I still want to wallow, and I still want to be paralyzed by my anxiety and my worry. And Jesus very logically steps in, and he goes, just consider this. The amount of time that you're spending in worry and anxiety, is it adding anything to the length of your life? Anything. He invites us to consider whether, whether or not living in a state of worry will actually prolong uh, your life. Whatever problem is causing you to feel anxious, you can be sure that anxiety will not reduce the problem. It won't. In fact, it only makes you more miserable uh, which, um, while you try to deal with it, which is why Jesus tells you to remove the anxiety from the equation. I'm not telling you to. Because what do I know? I don't know anything. But Jesus comes in and he says, you don't have to do it. You don't have to. In fact, at this stage, in verse 27, we've yet to discover in the passage what we can do instead of worry. But this doesn't discredit Jesus' instructions. That, that, that at this stage, we need to make a decision uh, whether or not we want to decide if, uh, if we're going to be willing to believe that Jesus knows better than we do regarding any anxiety that we're feeling. Can we trust Him over our worry? Do I trust that Jesus is teaching me a better way to live, or do I trust that my anxiety will lead me to somewhere greater? Right? Number four. God delights to adorn His creation. 
Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So, so this fourth reason Jesus gives for not being anxious is based on the lilies. He says, he says when, you, when you look at a lily which has no will, right, has no instinct of its own to labor and spin, yet it's, it's adorned with beauty and color. And Jesus says, you should just draw at least one conclusion from this. That, that, that God delights to adorn things. But His delight finds expression, uh, but if His delight finds expression in adorning grass that's here today and gone tomorrow, then surely his delight is even greater in how he clothes us. And now we need to, we need to be careful because we're not, we're not talking about being adorned with the latest fashion trends. So, so let's, let's be careful that we don't fall into the trap of the things of this world because we, we must not measure the perfection of God's provision by the desires of of the flesh, because God has not called us to necessarily live in palaces. He hasn't. In fact, uh, he, He's called us to take up our crosses and to love people no matter the cost. And, and when we're finished carrying our crosses, if God wills, we will receive kingly robes. And, and the promise to meet all of our needs does not mean that we will live uh, rich and high on the hog. It, it, means, uh, that it doesn't even mean that we'll be kept alive. What it means is that He will give us all that we need to do His will. That's His promise to us. He will equip us with the strength and the courage and the resources in order to live out His will. And so if you come to Him and you say, Well, God, you haven't provided this for me yet, therefore you must not want me to do it. That's not true. He's given us all of those provisions. Every single one of them. Number five. Jesus will say, Anxiety requires no faith. No faith whatsoever. Therefore, do not be anxious saying what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what she will, we, I'm sorry, what shall we wear uh, for the Gentiles seek after these things. Now, here's what you need to know. When Jesus said this, okay, when Jesus says the Gentiles seek after these things, it would have been a jab to the heart of every Jewish listener that was around. Uh, in fact, uh, they carried great disdain for the Gentiles. And really, the Gentiles for them is, is anyone who is outside the Jewish uh, faith. That thereby, they're not chosen by God. And, and so, so to equate the anxiety of their hearts as being on par with unbelievers that they despise, put them on equal footing. And now... For us, we, we don't have to carry, of course, we don't have to carry disdain uh, for the Gentiles. In fact, uh, I would, my guess is that every one of us here are Gentiles uh, that have been adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. And, and so, but, but his point is still a matter of great importance. His point is that to live in anxiety is to live with no faith. No promises, uh, no trust in the promises of God and no belief that He's going to provide 
uh, for your needs. And Jesus says, this is how unbelievers live. And you've been called to live outside the darkness of worry and into the light of peace. That, that we, as the light shines out of us of Jesus Christ, that it should be the light of peace, regardless of the worries of our lives. Then he reminds us in number six that God knows your every need. Every one of them says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. What? What's that last word? All. All. He knows that you need them all. So choosing to engage with anxiety shows that we don't think our Heavenly Father knows our needs, or, or perhaps we don't think He has the heart of a loving Father. And that's a problem. You see, do you see how that affects your worship? So anxiety reveals that, that we are too close to the world and too far from God. And this is why Jesus is drawing our hearts toward a, a reminder that God knows what we need. He knows we need food and drink and clothing, and, and He's attentive to meet all of those needs. Therefore, we don't have to be anxious. The world has nothing eternal to offer, and your Heavenly Father knows your needs now and, and forever. So, so this truth should be paired with how faith is a weapon to combat anxiety. Trusting in God's provision and power will make it possible to run to Him for all of our needs. Number seven, we're almost there. Number seven, as you seek the kingdom of God, you are promised provision for all your needs. Verse 33, and this is, this is a famous one, right? In fact, most of us uh, perhaps have heard this verse before, just didn't know. It was sitting right here in the midst of what do I do about anxiety and worry? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so, so this, the seventh reason in not be anxious is that, that when you seek the kingdom of God first, He works and He provides for you. All these things, now, does not mean everything we think we need. Okay, can we agree with that? That everything that your kid says that they need, guess what? They don't. They don't. And I wonder how many times we go to God like our kids go to us. This is what I really need. And God's like, no, you don't. You don't. You think it'll make you happy. It'll destroy you. And then what do we do? We, we walk away in a temper tantrum. And we say, well, you must not love me. Because if you really love me, you would give me what I need. And God says, that's not the way this works. My promise is for the provision of all of your needs. And as you trust me, you'll start to see that everything I provide is exactly all that you need. And so what he gives us in, in verse 33 is an alternative to anxiety. Now, here's the thing. My, my fear this week as I was preparing notes was, was that uh, I would come in and just tell you, hey, Jesus says these eight things, uh, just go do them. And I get that's not the way we learn and that's not the way we receive word. Um, but, but nonetheless, what Jesus does here, specifically in verse 33, is so very important because he gives us an alternative. 
Instead of him just coming in and saying, hey, nah, don't worry. Right? This, and that's what we typically do when we give people advice about worry. We're like, yeah, no, you stop doing it. It's like saying, hey, stop being afraid of the dark. You know, you, you can't do it until you're not afraid of the dark anymore. And so what he does in verse 33 is so helpful. He says, you take that anxiety to God. You take that worry to God. You say, God, my desire is to seek you, is to be part of your kingdom. It's to have a heart that has been renewed and recreated for your glory and for your purposes. And so Jesus comes in and he says, I want to give you uh, an alternative to anxiety. And he calls from us courage to look toward God who is doing uh, an incredible thing as he equips us for his adventures of his size. That, that, that doing this opens our eyes to the greater things that God is putting on display as his glory shines around us. Because what happens when we are overwhelmed with worry or anxiety? Whatever the object of that worry or anxiety is becomes the biggest thing, right? It encompasses us. That's why you feel weight. That's why you feel the heaviness of your anxiety. And what Jesus is saying is you don't have to, that doesn't have to be the biggest thing that you see. Because your heavenly father can be. Seek first the kingdom. And number eight, we can start wrapping this up, Swan. Uh, number eight, he says, don't allow uh, tomorrow's troubles to take away from today's joys. Now here's what I know. Sometimes when, when we worry and when we're led to anxiety, it's based on an alternate reality that is yet to play itself out. Right? What if? It's, it's the reality of what if. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I can't change this? What if I can't change that? And what Jesus says is, is focus today on today. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious uh, for itself. Sufficient for the day is, is its own trouble. And what we're being told is, is don't misappropriate God's allotted troubles for tomorrow. Don't, don't bring them into your today in the form of anxiety. Believe that God will be God tomorrow. Uh, I tell you, I, this has played out practically in our house. Um, Bear, uh, my son, he runs track, and, and I'd asked him a couple months ago, uh, the night before, I was like, hey, are you nervous about your meet tomorrow? And he says, no, not really. You know, which, because I remember when I was running track, being anxious of all the time about those things. And he's like, no, not really. Uh, and, and I was like, really? I go, what, why is that? And he goes, he goes, well, I figured that's tomorrow Barrick's problem. And, and I, since then, we joke around in our house about, well, that's tomorrow Brandon's problem. He doesn't have to worry about it today. And what I found was that this is an incredibly biblical approach to life. It says, don't bring tomorrow's problems into today's issues. And it takes us back to this beautiful time of, of when the Israelites... Uh, in, in the book of Exodus, when they were leaving Egypt and they made it to the uh, they made it into the desert and they need food and then all of a sudden as God is providing for them, He provides this this food called manna and it literally came from the heavens, just arrived every morning. And what God was doing, He says, Hey, listen, don't hoard it. 
Don't put it in a bowl. Don't try to take two portions today because this food will not be good tomorrow. But you don't have to worry about that because today I'm giving you food. And guess what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to bring you new food. So we don't have to live in this moment of, well, God, what's going to happen in the next five months of my life? Because anything we've learned in the last couple months is that we don't know anything. We don't. And Jesus looks at us here and he says, he says, don't take tomorrow's troubles into today. But it's not that we ignore it. It's just that we give it to God. And as our faith grows, we trust that God will provide tomorrow, today what he's providing today. And tomorrow the same provisions that he's providing for tomorrow. And so, so verse 34 is not telling us to live blindly about tomorrow. But there are... There are important verses in the Bible about, about planning and saving and working toward a goal. However, those verses are never intended to be pursued apart from the desire to walk in God's way each and every moment of our lives. Which Jesus helps us understand in verse 34 is that, that there will be difficult days along with, with many temptations, but instead of wallowing or being paralyzed with anxiety, he proclaims to take those temptations to God daily and watch him provide and meet all of our needs. And so here's here's what was revealed a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, as people were putting rolls and rolls and rolls of toilet paper in their baskets. And then when someone said, hey, I just need one package, and they're like, no, this is mine. It's revealed. Now, I don't know. That might have been some of you. I don't know. I was in Childress. They don't even have internet there, I don't think. But what that reveals is that our worry issue creates a worship issue. Where, where, which song are we going to? Oh, grazing guard. That's good. I was going to say. So we're about to sing a word, a phrase. There is nothing better than you. And I don't, I don't say that, I don't preface this with saying, hey, I hope we're really loud this time. And I hope we're really excited to sing it this time. But in essence, that phrase, there is nothing better than you is at the heart of our worry. It's at the heart of all of our anxiety. There is nothing better than you. But yet when I'm paralyzed by anxiety, that's not the message of my life. It's not. And you say, well, Brandon, you don't understand the complexities of my anxiety and the weight of my anxiety. And I'm like, I don't, but I don't have to. What Jesus is telling us is that we can grow a faith to where we can say, we can sing together, there is nothing better than you, and that not just be words that we sing, but it be the cry of our heart, and it become what we do with our lives. We say there is nothing. So if I'm out of toilet paper, I'm out of toilet paper. Okay. If I don't have food, I don't have food. All right. If I can't find clothes, and I can't find clothes, there is nothing better than you, my God. Nothing. 
Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. So we wrap up. Let me make a couple things. If you if you don't know that to be true in your life, we want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. We'll have some people over on this side of the room, and you're welcome to wait until we dismiss to go find them. We want to pray with you. We want us to be able to be a church full of people who say there's nothing better. There's nothing. There's nothing that even remotely competes with the goodness and the greatness of God. There's nothing in this world that, that, that can compete with the freedom and the peace of King Jesus. There's nothing. And the only way that happens is it begins here in our own hearts. So if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. If you need to meet Jesus this morning, we want to walk with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your incredible love. We thank you for your care for us. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the